Alrighty, let's see what we have here. We have this. Okay. Where do we live off? I-28. Can you hear me? Okay, uh, everyone else can you hear me? <coughs> Alrighty, let us begin. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nasalli ala rasulihi al-kareem. Amma ba'ad. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. And we seek blessings upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. All right. So continuing where we left off. Uh, last time we looked at the keys to, to uh, misguidance. The keys to being led astray. And fundamentally, the keys were were misconduct, that misconduct is the pathway to be led astray. And that's a point we've already sort of drawn attention to uh, when we had the drawing with the heart, in which is irada, and then the, uh, the mind, in which are the intentions, and then the body, in which are actions. And the point we kept making is that uh, my good intentions will have a positive influence on my heart, my bad intentions will have a negative influence on my heart, my good actions will have a bigger positive impact on my heart. My bad actions will have a bigger negative impact on my heart. And so uh, then we look at the chart that the value of having a good intention and doing the action has 10 to 700 times the reward, whereas the value of doing a bad action with a bad intention has one times the, the, the punishment, although, unless I'm the one who is introducing the, the action. And from the chart alone, it looks as though uh, everything is so much in favor of reward, which I think is very true. One thing to keep in mind is that that chart from, from, from uh, the, the previous classes does not give us the value of each action. Now, what I mean by this is that, for example, with the tongue, with the tongue, it takes very, very little effort to say something. Very little effort to say something positive, very little effort to say something negative. Yet the impact, whether we speak of reward or punishment, or whether we speak of, of, of consequences on my heart, the impact of my use of the tongue is huge. And so, so the point being that if I slander someone, that is a huge crime, even though it just takes a second on the tongue. If I praise Allah, that is a huge good thing, even though it takes just a moment. So do not, do not uh, assume that, uh, uh, that the reward and punishment are proportional to how much effort it takes for the action. Those two are not necessarily in sync. And what is it that leads many, many people to hell 
uh, and many other people to paradise, more often than not, it's the tongue. And so as my undergrads have heard from me many times, the tongue is the easiest thing to control. If I cannot control my tongue, I cannot control anything. It is easier to control your tongue than it is to control your eyes. And imagine how easy it is, we imagined it is to, to, to control your eyes. You know, the funny thing that I'm sure I'll probably mention in class is that if you're at a dinner party and then glance at people's eyes, you can see who's gonna keep looking back at the food because they wanna eat more food, right? So a lot of times our eyes will unintentionally reveal what our heart is seeking. The tongue, however, is something that if you can't control it and you start saying all kinds of nasty things, um, you chances are you can definitely not control your eyes and, and other things. Okay, so having said that, <clears throat> just to repeat uh, a bit, um, and again, I hope you'll indulge me in terms of the repetition part of it. That's part of the whole process here. So we were saying that uh, overall, this subsection, so um, within, uh, so we have Al-Baqarah. I'm not gonna read the, read out, write out the whole thing, but we said that in the introductory section, was ayahs one through 39. Okay. And then further, we've covered the, in ayahs uh, one through 20, the uh, models of belief and rejection. And then within that, we are, the section we are in right now, 29. we spoke of this as foundational concepts and commands. And so to 21, first command. We also have a foundational concept in there too, which is that Allah is the creator of all, right? And then we have a second command. And in there, we also saw that Allah Ta'ala said, that in a nutshell, that all around us has been created at our service. We have been created to worship Allah. Everything else, it seems, has been created or much else has been created at our service. And then we have 23 and 24, which is conditional commands regarding doubt but here I'm gonna call them just straight prescriptions. Okay. And then we had this one point uh, about Allah's majesty. which we'll be revisiting as we finish this subsection, right? That it is not beneath Allah to speak about something as significant as a bug. But then within that, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. How could I forget? 
the uh, third command. So whoever thought about it and then immediately turned that into a dua, mashallah. Then we speak about Allah's majesty. Twenty-six and twenty-seven. We talked about the faucet. Misguidance. Now, <clears throat> the most basic arguments for belief. Or are we going to say the most basic arguments for submission? Whoever's typing those, <laughs> we can all see it, but it's fine. You're welcome to keep typing those, you know, if you want, wherever it is. Uh, at least what you're typing are nice things. When I'm teaching this class with my daughters and nieces, in the hour before, they put gold stars and drawings as I'm trying to as I'm trying to write. Okay. <clears throat> So, so this is the, the overall uh, structure that we have here. Uh, I'm emphasizing command, command, prescription, command. Good. But what we'll also see in throughout this whole thing uh, is different dimensions of how to perceive and how to conceive of Allah. Yeah. That we'll get to as we complete this. But now let's look at and then, uh, let's look at these basic arguments. All right, uh, does anybody still need this? It's better that you say yes, you don't have to say no. It's okay, Musab, uh, your annotations are actually benefiting everybody so much more. Okay. Alrighty, so let's, hopefully you can see my Google Chrome. Hopefully I'll see Loyola. Look, mashallah, how beautiful Loyola is right now with no people around. And then, okay. Yeah, somehow this keeps scrolling up, even though I, I was start. I always start on the eyes we're supposed to work on, and somehow it moves. Okay, so so, I <clears> have <throat> twenty-eight. A very very simple argument for belief. Kaifa takfuruna billah. So how can you reject Allah? So takfuruna, here it's translates disbelief. It's the same word that kufr is from, uh, or the root being related to kufr, K-F-R, kafara. Kefa takfuruna billah, and you were dead. Yeah. And he brought you to life. Then you will die. Then you will be brought to life again. And then to him, you will be returned. Okay. So the basic question being here, how can you reject Allah? And its most simple point is you're going to die. And then whether you believe it or not, you're also going to be brought back to life after that. But here, uh, the question, uh, there was a question from yesterday uh, about atheism. 
And that's sort of what we're thinking about right now. So when we spoke about uh, when we spoke about the usage of metaphors, we said the coffers are asking, the coffers in I twenty six are asking, okay, what does Allah mean by this metaphor? And the point we eventually reached was that they didn't really care about the answer; they just wanted to mock believers. And so, <clears throat> if we're speaking about uh, here, I'd like us to consider, and I invite anyone, or as is the case with every other point, feel free to challenge or push back or just raise question. Um, among the big concerns uh, from a belief perspective are atheism and anti-theism. So atheism means simply no belief in God, And here, anti-theism is more what we see of the common preachers. Sam Harris, uh, um, for the other people, Christopher Hitchens, and I received a good correction the other day, Richard Dawkins, Bill Maher is put there, uh, Ayan Hirsi et cetera, et cetera. Anti-theism is against belief in God. And this is a lucrative in industry right now. Darwin uh, is a whole person in terms of his own category because I don't think Darwin was an atheist. I think Darwin was very much a believer. He just, because uh, he was also a theologian, uh, but he, he promoted the, the, the idea of, of uh, evolution. Okay, so, so we find a lot of preachers, you know, public intellectuals that are pushing this idea of atheism or anti-theism. But what we don't find are people who take it to its full conclusion. So what is the full conclusion here? The full conclusion is that we're saying uh, everything is just nothing more than cause and effect. Right, sorry. Okay. Everything is nothing more than cause and effect. You are nothing more than a small piece of the grand universe's cause and effect, right? That's all you are, yeah. Which means first consequence of all this is that there is no meaning or purpose. for existence. Which then means what? Nihilism. So what is the philosophy of nihilism? The philosophy of nihilism is that it doesn't matter how you live your life. Okay. So think about the point that I'm making. I could choose to live an ethical life. Good. So is it possible for someone to live an ethical life without any religion? How do you answer that question? What do you think? So let's say someone who has been never taught to Islam, is it possible for that person to live an ethical life? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I mean, to justify within Islam, we can say, well, everyone is born on fitrah. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. 
We can uh, give examples of people who have no religion, who seem to have very, very upright character. And we can give examples of people who seem to have a lot of religion and have horribly bad character, no doubt. And so, so however we justify it, you can absolutely be someone who, who has upright character uh, that is not coming directly, at least, from, from belief. Okay. Now, <clears throat> suppose I live a life that would, from the outside, look completely saintly. Saintly. Okay. And let's say I even do great things, that I develop multiple cures for people okay, that leads to cures from horrific diseases. In this outlook that we we're speaking about the board, what is my end result? Anyone? I'm still gonna die, and I'm gonna become fertilizer at best. Like in, like, in terms of what? Say it again, Rashidi? Like in terms of what? It doesn't matter, mean? In, yeah, so if I'm saying there's no akhirah, there's no God, there's no ghaib. Without believing, right? Right. Yeah, like I, I see it like there is like, no point, so it doesn't really matter for them. Yeah, this is the point that I'm making. The point being, and what am I, what is the deeper point that I'm suggesting? That this is a part that has to be accepted that people are often not embracing. Okay. And so, and Ahant will, will try to get to reincarnation in a bit, inshallah. So, so the point we're making is that if I live my life as a saint, if I live my life as a tyrant, it doesn't matter because I'm going to be dead. People can honor me long after I die, but I'm not going to care because I don't want to even have consciousness when I die. I'm saying this is the logical conclusion. Now, I might decide that, okay, I have statistically however many years in this world, uh, whatever, whatever the purpose is, if there is no purpose, I still want to live a good life. That's fine if I want to live that way. But the next person who decides, no, I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to satisfy all my appetites and no matter what the cost is, because we're all going to die. That person's argument is just as valid and invalid. Yeah. That is hard to determine some cause and effect square with the idea that everything has been pre-written. Okay. That's a separate point. What we're talking about right now is if I am arguing that there's no God, no hereafter, no unseen. Good. And I'm saying the net result is nihilism. Good. But what I am accepting as a reality is that I'm going to die. So what is the argument we have in this ayah? So the explicit argument is you were without life. Uh, I am saying most atheists, uh, in my anecdotal experience, do not acknowledge this conclusion 100% yes. You were without life. Okay, everybody can accept that. Okay. You will die. And what is being stated here, whether you believe it or not, you will be alive again. Returning to Allah. 
and I'm putting down the line saying that whether you believe it or not, this is a reality, right? Every, every system of belief is saying, whether you believe it or not, this is the reality. This is what we are saying. Okay. And so the basic argument that's being given here in this ayah is, all right, this is similar to, to Pascal's wager, right? Someone share with us what is Pascal's wager. And you're welcome to type it or speak it. Doing it, wants to do it. Or not. Okay, so. Okay, so thank you, Abu Hassan, for the ultimate short version. Okay, so what's Pascal's wager? Uh, Pascal's wager, Pascal was had very few nice things, if anything, to say about Islam. His, his praise was very much of Christianity, but the point is still relevant here. Yeah, thank you, Moment. Okay, if you believe in God, either heaven or nothing. If you don't believe in God, either nothing or hell. So what are we saying here? Pascal is saying either you believe or you don't believe. In fact, tell you what, let me just make it easy. We'll come back to the screen in a second. Okay, so either you believe or you don't believe. <clears throat> if there is a God, then you are okay. If there's no God, you're dead. You didn't lose anything. Okay. If you don't believe, if there is a God, you not okay. And if no God, you're dead. Doesn't matter. There's another part that is also left out of Pascal's wager. And thank you for that, Dr. Mahan. Uh, another part that's also left out in discussing Pascal's wager. So this is Pascal's gamble. Saying, if you believe in God, you're fine. If you don't believe in God or, and God exists, then you're not fine. Otherwise, worst case scenario, the other case scenario is that if there's nothing, you die. So he's saying that the safest route is to believe. Pascal Confucian per bad American stereotype. <laughs> Dr. Mohi, if you can translate that. Okay, the other part that is often left out is your internal fire, which he speaks about. He just feels compelled to believe. which fits with what we are saying, that everyone is born on fitrah and Allah's default relationship with you is guidance. You're born on fitrah, and think of when we spoke about fitrah, we said you have a natural consciousness of Allah, 
you're hardwired with that, you have a natural consciousness of right and wrong. That is your innate direction to pursue and Allah's default relationship is guidance. So if you are not making a choice regarding guidance, you're actually in the path of guidance. Kufr is actually the choice. It's rejection of faith is actually a choice. Is the choice a person's making. Yeah. And so, so bringing this back to this point, <laughs> the basic question that's being asked in this ayah, right at the beginning is, why would you... Reject. Right? Yeah. So this is the, the most basic, basic, basic call for belief. Yeah. So Sarah, that's how you're speaking of arrogance. Why would I reject that? Uh, we're going to see in the story of Shaitan. which is going to be the next subsection in just a moment, inshallah. Yeah. And then, even then, to pad the situation, Ayah <clears throat> 29, so I'm going to pause this for a second and go back to our Even then, Allah Ta'ala is patting it in our favor by saying what? He's saying, he created for you it is, sorry. He created for you all that which is on the earth. Everything. And then he directed himself to the heavens and made them into seven heavens, seven skies. He knows all. So the most basic arguments for belief I hope I'm not getting you dizzy by going back and forth between screens. So the most basic arguments for belief are just a simple logical argument with a claim about reality plus Allah's generosity. Which we might look at as an emotional argument, but it's basically, again, compelling gratitude. So this is what it all can get reduced to in its most, most basic forms. And if we add the previous ayahs, we're saying Allah's default is guidance. Too, unless you choose misguidance. How is this related to Pascal's wager? The first part is basically related to Pascal's wager. You're going to die. So you're going to die anyway. What do you have to lose by following guidance? But you have everything to gain. Yes. So some of, some of this um, you've heard from me, those of you who, who uh, I bet have a bit of uh, more of a history with that, and this is especially relevant with younger people, 
Um, and I'll start catching up with some of these questions in a bit, inshallah. Uh, let's just add more color, just more fun. That's what I like to do. So in my experience for the past 20 years, well, yeah, 20-ish years, 100% okay, of Muslim converts to atheists is atheism. Literally 100%. And by numbers, I'm speaking in multiple dozens. Okay. Either converts or aspirants, people who are considering shifting to atheism, leaving the dean, going straight to atheism. Uh, am I frozen? Can someone nod? Okay, oh yeah, nod, that means I'm not frozen. Okay, so I'm getting that internet sign. Okay, the issue has always been, in every single time, a broken heart. Or what we, what we might call resent. And I'm saying this for 20 years, 100% of the time. And what do I mean by this? That almost always the person who is willing to sit with me, and usually if they're sitting with me, uh, they're sitting with me because they themselves want to, or because in some cases their parents are forcing them. Yeah. And so if someone wants to get guidance and there's hope, if they don't want guidance, if their parents are forcing them, then we're limited in terms of what we can do. But uh, the, the, the process always, or almost always begins with seemingly rational arguments. Yeah. And so, <laughs> So, and by rational arguments, you know, how can you have a good God and evil? How can you have free will and predestination? Things like that. Yeah. And eventually, if the conversation can last long enough, and usually that's dictated more by the setting than, you know, than anything else. Yeah. And uh, 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 some of your questions I'll get to in a bit, inshallah. Then eventually it gets to the real issue. Okay, so I'll give you one example. So uh, I was at a conference uh, in New Jersey shortly after 2000 uh, as an attendee, and and uh, this guy came and he started arguing with every with everyone about free will and predestination. No one wants to talk to him, and so they all deflected him to me because that's apparently how, how sometimes things, things work in many of the places I settings I put myself in, and and he. Uh, is arguing free will predestination or free will predestination. You know, it can't work because of X, Y, Z. And sometimes if he had a, a, a hole in his logic, I'd push back. And he's going on and on and on and on and on. And that went on, I'm not exaggerating, in two sessions for six hours. Good. And he's talking at full speed, repeating himself more often than not. And shortly after that, in the latter part of these six hours, he suddenly breaks down. 
And he says, okay, here's the real issue. Okay. Six months ago, my brother died in a car accident. I can't deal with it. And his way of coping to try to grieve, to try to make sense, is to blame it on God. And his way to get back at God was to say that God doesn't exist. That formula alone I've had multiple times when someone has a sibling who dies. You know, there was a case in the western suburbs of two guys racing back from an Islamic camp and they're in their Porsches and then the Porsche crashes and these two guys die. A year later, uh, the older brother of one of those kids comes to me and says, okay, everything I've, I've been taught failed me. This kid went to full-time Islamic school, was raised in a religious family, and he was saying, okay, they taught, I was taught all this stuff that should be helping me get through life, but when I needed it, which is right now, it didn't happen. Yeah. And it was the same thing. He couldn't cope. He didn't know how to grieve. He didn't know how to process the death of his brother. And nobody was around helping him. And so more often, it is resent against parents. And most often, it's against fathers. And what is the point here? That we might have parents that are either absent physically or parents that are present, but they are not nurturing. Because uh, as we know, in many of our subcultures, uh, we're very fantastic in raising our children to become fantastic students and professionals, not so much on how to deal with life. And so a lot of this results in self-loathing. I'm going to add another thing to resent and broken heart, which is a very viciously low self-esteem. But I'm saying all three of these things are essentially the same thing. This has been the formula over and over and over again. Literally, and I'm saying no exception so far, 100% of the time. And in each case, when someone's coming to the office, I'm not going with the assumption, okay, this is what's really going on. We're going through, through the process. I'm trying not to to dictate for them what, what their scenario is, but it always winds up being the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Often anger, resentment is part of grief. Yes, absolutely, 100%. You know, that a lot of times when we don't know how to cope or process, we resort to what we have. And sometimes anger will be one of the, the, the phases of grief, but sometimes anger is our only emotional response. So, so, what we're saying is that the cure is sometimes, sometimes the cure, let me put this in a different color, or let's just make this, um, uh, what's a good color we haven't used? Well, I guess we have to repeat, sorry. Yeah. So then what we're saying is that treatment, sometimes it is with argument, rational argument, but more often it is with compassion. That more often it is compassion that someone is seeking, that for whatever reason they didn't have.
to reduce the resent or to help mend the broken heart. And low self-esteem takes a little bit more. <coughs> uh, related to this is also to place focus on a person's innate value. But again, I'm saying this has been my experience 100% of the time. The hard part, of course, if, it's, if someone's being brought against their will, then you can, then you basically, you deal with the arguments and then you try to shift towards Rahma, hoping that some point in the future, it'll, it'll have value, it'll have benefit. But again, this is what we're saying is, is uh, in this last part, in terms of the most basic arguments for belief. Um, very simple rational argument and very simple, for lack of a better term, using emotional argument, but incentive uh, um, that, uh, you know, that Allah Ta'ala has created everything for you. So have I seen people return to faith? Surely and steadily, yes. That person, the first person, I'm not taking credit for this, literally at this conference the next day, he was in the front row for Fajr. Right. Again, I'm not taking any credit for that because I was as surprised as anybody else. Uh, and some people, no. Uh, some people, uh, it's uh, well, their needs are beyond my capacity. Some people, I will refer them to to therapists to focus on dealing with trauma and, and such. Uh, but very, very often, yeah. But even then, it's what also happens sometimes is someone gets addicted to the. Uh, the allure or the arrogance of, of that comes uh, sometimes with this. And as we'll see when we get into the story of Shaitan, it's very hard to get somebody out of arrogance. So having said that, let's get into questions. And first let me bring the screen back. This is especially relevant these days because, um, oh, no, that's not what I want. Uh, because of how common this is uh, among younger and younger people. Some of you have heard from me that uh, I honestly don't know what keeps a, you know, a 15 year old and above in the Dean. Because as I mentioned before, those of us who are older, we have multiple other anchors forcing us to remain in. All right, so let's look at some of the questions. When religion gets blamed for every tragedy that happens to us, why is religion getting the blame for every tragedy that happens to us? Well, religion is getting the blame for a lot of them because it's people of religion that are doing them. Maybe that's part of the part of the, the, the issue. There are people who are claiming to be Muslim and people who are claiming to be Christian, people who are claiming to be Jewish, who are still having you know public meetings that are spreading the virus right now. And they think that hey, God has promised to protect them or something. You know? Uh, so that religion is all, uh, all over the place. Isn't atheism itself the second largest religion? I mean, I mean, so there are a whole lot of people who are raised in atheism, often Buddhism and such. Those are different than the people that I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the people who've converted in. Yeah. Uh, so Buddhism is one of the largest religions of them all. Uh, and I haven't talked about secularization. That's a whole big conversation that's sort of outside the realm of, of this particular class. How do people re return to faith, especially when there's a sense of humiliation, embarrassment, when they have left Allah for so long, if they think Allah is upset and angry with them? Oh, very, very good question. So some of this involves then the process of rebuilding. 
And guess what is often the very first assignment I give people? It is the gratitude exercise. Uh, a second assignment, which sometimes is the first, is to get people to develop a relationship with the Prophet, peace be upon him. Before getting into the Quran, to go through a biography of the Prophet, peace be upon him, with the intention of developing appreciation and love for the Prophet, peace be upon him. That can then become a pathway to, to further relating with Allah. And so some of that requires further conversation uh, if they think Allah is upset and angry with them. So keep in mind, the Prophet, peace be upon him, had a phase like that all the way at the beginning. He had this period that's called the Fatrat al-Wahi, where he stopped receiving revelation, and he thought that he did something wrong, or he upset Allah. And then he received Surat al-Duha, which is like Surah number 94, uh, and Surat al-Inshira, Surah 90, no, 93 and 94. And Surat al-Duha is basically saying, you know, I swear that as true as the night is and as the morning is bright, your, your Lord has not abandoned you, nor is he upset with you. And the fact that that's in the Quran is a message for all of us as well. Good. Meaning the door to seeking forgiveness is always open. And it's so much so that we even have a narration where, where we're told that, uh, well, a couple of narrations. One is that if we didn't commit any sins, we would be replaced by people who would commit sins and then seek forgiveness for it. That one of the most beloved things of Allah are the people who are, seeking forgiveness for, for their wrongs. So that is a process. The overall answer uh, to your question is a step-by-step -step careful process of rebuilding faith, which goes hand-in-hand -hand with rebuilding the self. Frozen, often anger. Yeah, so some people have returned to faith. While atheists don't take it to the conclusion their purpose of existence is pleasure, for some it is. Some, I mean, at its core, you might call it a type of narcissism. And I have to qualify that, that for a lot of people who are people of faith, so too is, 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 is it uh, the purpose of self-indulgence, uh, uh, which yeah, we'd call pleasure. So, uh, Suleiman and Dr. Nasheed's question, how do you mend a broken heart? So the core of that is, is compassion. And compassion also has to be preceded by trust to get them to figure out how to get the person to trust that you care so that then they can receive your compassion. Uh, Sarah Al-Attar, would you say that the rational Aqidah arguments that one holds behind in these situations is, is a way to stifle cognitive dissonance? Okay, profound question, but I need you to explain it to me uh, a little bit more because I'm not sure that I'm understanding. Broken hearts, do we mean trauma? I think I may have under, under, uh, explained that. Um, uh, it includes trauma. Trauma is outside of my skill set to, 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 to address but trauma is often part of the picture, but sometimes it's just straight up low self-esteem or an inability to be grateful uh, for, for what, you know, that your parent or parents have done for you. Let's see. Um, other questions? Uh, uh, Ahant, you had a question in there somewhere that, uh, oh, it was a question about reincarnation. Uh, so, so reincarnation would, would have different uh, logical consequences. There the question would be that, all right, if you believe in reincarnation uh, and then you're getting closer to the divine, so beyond just the question of, of evidence, if you're getting closer to, to the divine, uh, does that mean you will have higher status in the next life? If yes, uh, from a dunya perspective, if no, uh, the question becomes, what is my incentive to change? 
based on something that will be posthumous that I will not have any recollection of my previous life for. So what we're saying about Akhir in our perspective is you're going to remember this worldly life. Um, but uh, I don't remember if that was exactly what your question was. Uh, any other questions? Uh, Sammy, how does this hard determinism cause and effect square with the idea that everything has been pre-written? So here we're speaking, we're, we're arguing within the arguments of someone who is saying there is no uh, 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 unseen, but part of the argument of cause and effect would be that everything is determined, right? That determinism, everything is already uh, uh, decided for me. But if I truly believe that, then I'm like the non-Muslim version, the atheist version of the Muslim fatalist. The Muslim fatalist is saying, okay, I can't do anything to change my position, so I'm just going to sit around. Good. And so the determinist non-believer has an excuse to live whatever way they want. And what you often find among the preachers who, who push this idea is that they try to cash in. So uh, tell me, let me know if that answers your question. Any other questions? Since we're, okay, uh, uh, Dr. Mohi, since we're getting into creation, why are the majority of Muslims hostile to the idea of evolution? That is an interesting question. And I think a lot of our, our unprocessed or unthought Muslim opinions we just jump to Christian conservative opinions on, on anything and everything. And part of it could be a, a, a simple mindset. Meaning, I don't think as, an, as a concept, you know, I don't think evolution is a big deal for us to, to accept, right? We can still acknowledge evolution is an interpretation of data. So too is the Big Bang an interpretation of data. Good. And then what some people do is, oh, look, we have this ayah this in Surah Dukhan that supports the Big Bang. Everything was one, and then we tore it all apart. And then the person of evolution can say the same thing. But, okay, we are made from water, we're made from clay. Seems to fit a theory of evolution. So I think some of that is a mixture of us jumping to whatever the conservative Christian opinion is on these things without actually thinking them through. And it's not a big deal to say that, okay, if evolution happened, Allah Ta'ala made it happen every step of the way. So, uh, and I don't remember if we talked about this, but in terms of why is it such a, such a, a hot button issue from the biblical realm? Because in the biblical realm, what does it say? God created man in his image. So, and so... <clears throat> So if we're saying God created man in his image, which especially seems to fit in Christianity, then we're, if we're also saying that man is half a step away from a monkey, then what have we just said about God? That's a, that's a theological problem, not for us. And you can also rewrite that. This is it created man in his image. Nothing about how that suddenly changes the entire passage. Now the image is, is man's image, Adam's image, rather than God. Or we can make it even more fun. God created man in his vision. God. Very similar word. 
And so what I'm arguing, what I'm suggesting is that for us, belief in evolution is not the theological problem as it is uh, in many other traditions, in my understanding. Uh, let's see, is atheism on the rise because of illogical answers in relationship to scientific research? I would say atheism is on the rise for a number of reasons. One is that the dominant religion of America is agnosticism, right? As a secular nation, the dominant religion is agnosticism, which means that is what we're going to accept. Further, related to Dr. Mohi's question about evolution, that, re that religion, the religious community is not really given satisfactory answers to, to modern questions. This is at the essence of Iqbal's book, Reconstruction of Religious Thought in Islam, which is now over 100 years old and still hard to find too many examples of people trying to fulfill what his call is. Meaning, uh, uh, part of my thrill in studying Dean and talking about Dean is because it requires more maximum brain usage for me than, than anything else. Yeah. And so religion is, uh, is, is plenty of material for people to exercise Brilliance, I'm not claiming to be brilliant, but people that exercise brilliance. Uh, but we are often satisfying ourselves, like with my undergrads, the three M's and the J. Jins, med school, Zubihamit, and marriage, right? I mean, that's, it's as though there's nothing else to life than, than those questions. Uh, I also think atheism is on the rise, like I said, uh, because of dominant uh, secularism. And I also think because of, of just simple increased narcissism as well. Going back to reading the Quran subjectively, what is the takeaway from 28 and 29? That the most simple challenge Allah Ta'ala is giving you is you're going to die whether you like it or not, whether you accept it or not, and you're going to be raised whether you accept it or not. So why would you live any other way? Why would you live your time any other way? And if that's not enough to give you a boost, everything around you has been created at your service to help that process. Okay, let's see who else. Uh, Mosab is saying about all the physical evidence they present. I don't understand what you're saying there. And Sarata, is it easy? It's easier to leave Islam with logical, rational justification than to do so because of emotional problems. Uh, is that a question or is that an assertion? Can someone subscribe to reality determined by cause and effect but not be nihilist? In other words, does positive positivism always end in nihilism? You can a person can choose to live. Uh, whatever way they choose, we would still have to acknowledge that someone, if I'm, if I'm regarding life as nothing more than cause and effect, and I'm trying to be a, a good, beneficial, upright person, I still have to acknowledge that philosophically, the person who is a tyrant, who wants to take advantage of everyone, um, philosophically, in this outlook, that is just as valid as my approach to life, which means that I will probably be a victim of that person. Meaning I'm giving the terrain of the world to the people who want to take advantage of it. Because part of the argument of Dean is that if I'm witnessing injustice, I have to do something about it. I am obligated to God to do something about it. Okay. Oh, then Sarah, uh, was your, was, let me know if your question was or was not answered. Any other questions in the meantime? Okay, then sorry, can you re-ask your whole question? Professor, I have a quick question. Yes. Uh, this is Leith. Uh, we've been talking this whole time about uh, like Kefe Furuna or Kefe Tak Furuna. And like, is that referring, so we talked about like modern disbelief such as like anti-theism and atheism. 
Mm. But that verse is not referring to them, right? It's like it's referring to people who have seen the truth and then rejected it, like like when we were defining kufr earlier on. Mm. So in that context, it's a call to the people who are not embracing the prophet, peace be upon him, as the prophet. They already believe in Allah, right? That part of it is not an issue, right? The prophet's father's name was Abdullah, and they're rejecting the rising up from the dead. Make sense? Good. Uh, forgive me for my poorly worded question. Forgive me for my poorly worded teaching. Uh, basically, if someone can't maintain a proper relationship with God for reasons like they can't deal with trauma, can't deal with guilt of sin, convincing themselves that God doesn't exist, wipes away all the struggle of accepting fate or guilt uh, or shame, it's easier to leave Islam with logical or rational justification than to do so because of emotional problems. I think your question is... Um, is your question, um, are they choosing, are they, are they using that, the rational arguments as their excuse for leaving the team? And I would say uh, unconsciously, um, yeah, uh, that's, uh, uh, they're escaping behind rationalization. This is a, an issue I often have with students who, uh, uh, they're, when they're facing an issue that they don't want to face, suddenly they become hyper-rational and formal in their language. Like if they're having a fight with someone uh, or they're struggling in school, suddenly they'll give you rational explanations about how, how you know, you have this superstructure that is oppressive and this and that, this and that. They don't like them, sound like the normal selves. And then usually have to sometimes in a polite way or a blunt way kind of work around that or through that. Any other questions? Okay, what yet? Otherwise, uh, we will stop here. We're going to, inshallah, tomorrow begin our final home stretch, getting into the origin stories, right? I mean, that's part of the fun of superhero movies. We get into origin stories that will begin, inshallah, tomorrow. Yeah. The exam. Okay, I still have to forget the exam. So at Loyola, one of the nice things about being at a Catholic university is you get Easter off, so I have a little bit more time to, to, to use my brain, inshallah, and I'll get the uh, exam uh, details figured out, inshallah. Alrighty. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafirka natubi ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafirka natubi ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafirka natubi ilayk. Now we do not get Easter off, but for those of your relatives who are observing Easter, inshallah, it will go well, as well as Passover. Assalamu alaikum wa